And we're going to start now with a Bible reading from John 18, which Candice is going to read for us. Thanks, Candice. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Judas, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus, Of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the the priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Well, just after uh, Jesus was arrested in that Bible reading that we heard before from Candace, uh, from John 18, verse 15, uh, John chapter 18, verse 15, we see this scene. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's court. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you, she said. He replied, I'm not. Good morning. We're reading from John chapter 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does, does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because 
They know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the saying of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? In 1857, they dug up a building in Rome that had been buried for centuries and centuries. It was a building that used to be a boarding school. And in one room, they found scratched on a wall in the plaster some graffiti, which was done in around 200 AD. Now, the graffiti is it's a picture of a young man worshipping a man on a cross. But instead of a normal head, the man on the cross has a donkey's head for a head. And written alongside this picture, it says, Alexamenos worships his God. It's a very early mockery of a Christian, probably the oldest image of Christ that exists, and it's a mockery. And at the heart of this graffiti is the idea that the cross is is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to worship someone who died on a cross. Because in their minds back then, the cross was a horror that was reserved for the worst of criminals. Now, it's hard for us to understand their kind of revulsion. We get a bit of an idea if we think about worshipping someone who died in an electric chair or something like that. On its own, the cross really is gruesome, meaningless, and horrible. 
It's extraordinary, but for all the wrong reasons. But clearly, people like Alex Zemanos, they saw something more to the cross. They saw the backstory to it. They saw the, the meaning behind it. And as they saw the cross, they saw someone worth worshipping, someone worth being mocked for, for worshipping. Today, as, as we reflect on Good Friday, we're going to see something of the backstory ourselves this year. We've heard some of the Good Friday story read for us by Candace, and then just now we heard a flashback to a point of time just months earlier before the crucifixion when Candace read John 10. It's a kind of a backstory. Months before the, the agony of the cross, Jesus himself explains the meaning of the cross. And as we've heard, he explains it like this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The cross is not meaningless. It's not repulsive. It's a deliberate sacrificial act. And this is the first thing we see in the backstory to the cross. The cross is an extraordinary death because it's Jesus laying down his life for his sheep. I personally haven't had that much to do with sheep in my life, but I suppose I probably could lay claim to having played being a shepherd for one day. I, uh, I visited a friend on his farm in Gundagai. Here's a picture of Gundagai. Now, I don't think anyone that day thought that I made a good shepherd. To start with, I, I, I held everyone up. We were riding these two-stroke ag bikes, uh, motorbikes, and I was holding things up because the grass was knee-high and I was worried about hitting a log or a pothole as we went along. The, the dogs, they love to jump up on the motorbikes and ride with you, so I, I thought I'd call the dog up, but after about 10 seconds, even the dog didn't think I was doing a good job, bailed and decided to be safer to run. Flying down those huge hills that you can see, I, the bike felt like it was going to tip over. I realised I'm not helping, I'm a liability. But even if I had of that day managed to be a great help to the farmer, my friend, nonetheless, I was never going to be considered a good shepherd in the eyes of the sheep. They looked at us with terror as we revved the bikes, as we tore around after them, driving them on, and as we set the dogs on them to round them up. Pretty much in everyone's mind that day, I was not a good shepherd. But have a look at some of the sorts of things that Jesus says makes a good shepherd. But as we do that, keep in mind, when Jesus said he's the good shepherd, he's nothing like the Australian picture of a shepherd, Australian farmer. We've got to think about what he says makes a good shepherd back then. So look at verse 4. A good shepherd leads his sheep. Knows them individually, personally. Verse 8, a good shepherd doesn't steal from the sheep or let them get stolen, he keeps them safe. Verse 9, a good shepherd provides for his sheep. Verse 12, a good shepherd doesn't ab abandon the sheep in their time of need. And verse 11, Jesus says, a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says he's a good shepherd exactly like that. He leads his people. He knows them personally. He doesn't steal from them. He doesn't let them get stolen. He keeps them safe. He provides for his people. He doesn't abandon his people when they need him. Instead, Jesus says, he's the type of leader who puts their life above his own life. 
which is extraordinary. Now, to fully get what's happening in this backstory to the cross, we've got to notice who it is that Jesus is saying this to. Did you notice that as Candace read? It's not just his followers. Look at verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, this metaphor, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus is particularly talking to some leaders called Pharisees here. He's contrasting himself as a shepherd with other people who claim to be shepherds. And he's saying he's the shepherd the people need and they are not the shepherds that the people need. Look how starkly he puts it in verse 8. He says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And a bit further on, Jesus changes the metaphor and he says in verse 12, the hired hand, that's them, it's not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Jesus is saying here that at best, all other shepherds are incapable of looking after us and will abandon us when we need them most. But at worst, they are actually thieves and robbers who aren't leading us to life, but who are sucking the life out of us. Now, as as you already can tell from what I've said, I don't really know that much about farming. But I remember a friend telling me something, a farmer friend, that sort of stuck with me because it's so disturbing. He said that he has cows on his farm that when there's too much clover, he has to watch that they don't eat too much or their stomachs will literally explode. I mean, how crazy is that? These cows, they don't seem to know what's good for them. They need the farmer. Now, I do kind of empathise with them a little bit at this time of year with chocolate Easter eggs. But even in a more serious way, the truth is that we don't always know what's good for us. We think we do. We, We think... We're living the good life sometimes, but we can actually be harming ourselves, even harming those around us. We need a shepherd. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the alternative shepherds that we might follow, they won't actually lead us to where we need to go to life. They'll actually rob us of life and abandon us when we need them the most. For us, the shepherds, the kind of shepherds that we look to, they're not people like the Pharisees, I don't think. They're not politicians or or public figures these days either. I don't think so. I reckon we've figured out that they don't really have the answers. We don't really look to shepherds like that. The shepherds we look to are ourselves. We go looking for life in work, in our families, in our relationships, in our houses even, in our experiences our lifestyle but you know none of these things will come through in the end don't you as good as they are they can't give us what we need but jesus is different to every other shepherd that we could possibly have and the difference is that he's prepared to die for his sheep but it's more than simply that he's prepared to die for his sheep if he has to he's the good shepherd who plans to die for his sheep Jesus, he makes it very clear that the cross is is deliberate. In verse 18, he says, No one takes it, my life, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now, this is a really important bit to get in the backstory to the cross. 
The cross doesn't take Jesus by surprise. The cross is what Jesus comes to do. He comes to lay down his life because unless he does that, his sheep cannot see life. And this is the second part of the backstory that we see to the cross. The cross is an extraordinary death because it wins extraordinary life. Jesus lays down his life so that we can have life to the full. The cross is not meaningless or repulsive, but neither is it irrelevant and uninspiring. The cross is the one way Jesus can win eternal life for us, his people. Look at how he puts it in verse 9. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In ancient times, and still in many places in the world today, sheep were kept at night in a stone wall enclosure, like you can see up here. And the only way in was through one gap in the wall. And that's where the shepherd would sleep at night, as the literal gate. Jesus says he is the gate. His death is really about life. The cross is about him opening up for us the one way to fully live, the one way to salvation, the one way to the good life that God wants to provide for us. I saw a tweet this week about Notre Dame burning. A guy called Gary uh, Gasparov from um, New York tweeted, April 15, a tragic date for icons and symbols of all kinds. The assassination of Lincoln, the sinking of the Titanic, and now the burning of Notre Dame. The creations of man are as fragile as men. Someone a little bit further down replied, people need to understand that what's been built through the years can be lost in moments, be it purposefully, carelessly or accidentally. Stone edifices that have lasted centuries, our own democracies created with much sacrifice by our ancestors, what's been built can be ruined. It made me think that this is true of stone cathedrals, but it's also true of the cathedrals that we would build in our lives. We can pursue life to the full in our careers, our health, our families, our kids, our friendships, our girlfriend or boyfriend, our wife, our husband, or our lifestyle or our experience, holidays, houses. But in the end, it really is true that the creations of men are as fragile as men. What's been built through the, the years in our lives can be lost in moments, be it purposefully or carelessly or accidentally. Where are you looking to find true life in this world? Even really great, wonderful things, if, if we think we're going to find life to the full in them, we won't. We'll never find life to the full outside of God, the maker, the giver of life, I mean, how could we possibly find life to the full outside of him, the source of life? But we're a world, for the most part, that has sought life to the full without him. And for the most part, we're uninterested in him. 
Jesus is the good shepherd because he sees that this is a desperate problem for us. He sees what cuts us off from life to the full and he confronts it. He sees that it's our rejection of God, our attempt to find life outside of God. That's the problem. Our choice to look for life to the full outside of God, it's actually a choice to cut ourselves off from life. It's a choice for death. And the only way back to life is for that death to be overcome, to be paid for. And that is exactly the enemy that Jesus came as the good shepherd to die to overcome. You know, the cross really is gruesome and it really is awful because that's exactly what our rejection of God is. It's gruesome. It's awful. It's death and it deserves death. But what makes the cross so extraordinary is that God himself in Jesus takes our place. God himself in Jesus takes that lowly path of humiliation and mockery, agony, the horror of death. And he goes through it to bring us life. Willingly, lovingly, laying down his life, taking our place so that we can have extraordinary life. There's no other way to have life to the full. We can fool ourselves for a while that we can find life to the full ourselves, but we can't because life to the full, it isn't found in the things of this world. It is only found in knowing God, in following Jesus, the source of all life. As far as I can see, there are are really only three responses that you can have to the cross. There's kind of the response of, the graffiti artist way back who saw the cross and thought that is a joke and ridiculous. That's one response. Or there's the far more common response to the cross, which is just to find the cross uninspiring, unimportant to real life, which is kind of a worse response when you think about it. Or finally, there's the response that Jesus is looking for, Look at the response he wants. Verse 3, he says, the sheep listen to his voice. Verse 4, he says, they follow him because they know his voice. Verse 14, he says, he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Verse 16, he says, they will listen to my voice. Verse 27, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. What's your response to the cross? Is it like the graffiti artist? Are you repulsed by it? Or is it like most Australians? Do you find it uninspiring, not that relevant to real life? Or when you see the cross, do you see something that's life-changing, life-giving, captivating, Something extraordinary. Do you hear Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd who laid my life down for you? My mum, when she was about 16, she left a a fairly broken home, uh, an abusive home really, where they, um, they lived in poverty growing up with a narcissistic father on a farm out of town. Nine kids in a three bedroom shack. And she moved to Brisbane when she was about 16 to get a job. 
But you know, she didn't find life to the full in leaving that broken past behind. She didn't find life to the full when she met my dad or when she had a family. She found life to the full when she met Jesus. He turned her life, he turned her life around completely, without a doubt. She died about 20 years ago, far too early. She was 48. She never travelled. She didn't get to see her grandchildren. But she had life to the full. And here's the thing. Tears of sadness, but also tears of joy because she still has life to the full. She, She always will. She saw in the cross Jesus, the good shepherd, who loved her, who died for her, who offered her a life that just could never be extinguished. And she never looked back. She heard his voice and she followed him gladly. Now, like I said, tears of sadness, but overwhelmingly tears of joy. And we could tell stories like that all day. Stories of how Jesus has given us life to the full, no matter what life gives us, whether good or whether bad, he's the one who gives us life to the full. That's the kind of love we have, life we have because of Jesus. It's extraordinary. It really is. It's eternal. But maybe you don't have that kind of life. Do you want it? You know, Jesus says over and over again in this passage, the sheep hear his voice and they follow him you're not here for no reason today you're here jesus is speaking maybe you're hearing his voice do you want what he's offering take it how do you do that well you talk to him you admit that you've sought life to the full outside of him you ask for his forgiveness you ask for that life eternal and he'll give it to you and then you tell someone that that's what you're going to do because we need each other in this life we we can't follow jesus alone we need the others in this outline that you got this leaflet there's a slip that you can tear off if you're doing that today let me encourage you let someone know there's a box up the back where you can put it in But if you can kind of see you want life to the full, you need it, but you're still not sure that Jesus is the one to give that, can I encourage you to keep exploring? Later on, uh, someone's going to be talking about the life course, which is a really great, relaxed place where you can ask questions, where you can hear more about Jesus. Can I encourage you to consider going to that? But let me pray for us as I thank God for Jesus our good shepherd. Father, we really do thank you for Jesus, for what he endured at the cross for our sake. Lord, through his suffering, his mind was set on the joy that he was going to win for this world, for us, 
for his sheep. Father, his love, his justice, his commitment to us, it's mind-blowing. It's life-giving and life-changing. It's extraordinary. Lord, we thank you for Good Friday, for the reminder that it is that, that this life, when we know Christ, is not the end. That we will go on living with him, with you forever, for all eternity, because of the amazing sacrifice that he paid for us. Lord, we just thank you so much. And we ask that you would help us to keep following him, our good shepherd, all our days. Amen.